0: Good morning, church. How are you this morning? Are you well? I need you to know that not all is well in this world. Um, I feel compelled before we get into God's Word today um, that we take a moment and pray over what's happening in Israel right now. If you're unaware, uh, yesterday uh, there were a group of Palestinian terrorists associated with the terrorist group Hamas uh, who came out of Gaza, the Gaza Strip, and began to attack Israelis and others in southern Israel. It's been about 15 years or so ago, I, I was in the city of Sderot, which is in southern Israel, um, and was learning about the conflict that exists between uh, the, the nation of Israel and the Palestinians in, in, in some of the uh, Palestinian uh, encampments like Gaza. And I remember st- standing on a high point Looking across uh, through the great distance from Sirot, uh into Gaza, I could see Gaza in the distance. And one of the uh, leaders of the group, uh, of our group that day, pointed out a big black spot that was out about 200 yards out. And he informed me and us um, that it was the remains of one of the Kassam rockets um, for years and years and years. Uh, Palestinian terrorists have been launching these Qassam rockets out of Gaza, and it's been in, they've been in conflict for a while. Um, but yesterday's uh, attack was unprecedented. Um, the last totals that I saw just a few moments ago that uh, over 600 Israelis have died. Um, a total of a thousand people have died between both groups. But there is also uh, the belief that even some Americans have died in this conflict. Um, and uh, these kind of things that Israel in the Middle East is a hotbed of conflict and um, we know we know that that at any time something that seems to be small uh, could erupt on the world stage and bring many many nations uh, into conflict and so Israel the nation of Israel is now responding Uh, I believe this is going to get much worse before it, it gets any better Uh, I I have some personal friends who are in Israel right now, Um, a couple of pastor friends from the state of Florida that I'm aware of um, are in Israel leading church groups uh, touring the Holy Land and will be there for some time. Um, And so we we just need to be praying for what's going on there. One of the things that I've learned about what's happening in Israel, learned a long time ago, it is one of the most complicated uh, geopolitical situations that you'll ever encounter. Um, and so there are, there are a lot of folks that are people in, in leadership positions making decisions. I would also say that there are people on both sides, that people just living their lives, uh, parents with kids and grandkids uh, seeking to live their lives and uh, they're going to be caught up in all of that. Um, but just the, the, the incredible viciousness that has took place at the initial starts of this latest attack. Uh, the elderly children, women have been slaughtered, families slaughtered in their cars. Uh, people, uh, There were rapings that have been going on, uh, hostages have been taken in, uh, out of southern Israel into the Gaza area. It's a very, very difficult and, and um, uh, uh, tense situation, and I just want us to pause and to pray. Can we do that? Let's pray and let's ask the Lord uh, in some, some way or some form uh, to, to limit Um, the impact of of what has happened. Lord Jesus, my heart is obviously heavy, your Father, over what is happening in Israel right now. And we know that this conflict is nothing new, that this has been going on for well over a generation in the modern age of of Israel. Um, And there are opinions uh, uh, from across the globe, some for the Israeli situation, some against them, some for the Palestinians, some against them. Um, But we know that there is conflict there and that there are um, innocent lives being impacted um, by this political situation. And Lord, I don't have all the answers for it. Uh, I do know that you do, but I know that in this broken world in which we live, in which uh, conflict and war and, and violence and death um, is a real possibility. It, it is a daily possibility for the people that live in that region. And Lord, it's going to require far more wisdom than I have. And probably far more wisdom than any human being on this earth has. Uh, in order to to find a, a re- reconciliation there. And a way for people to live and, and to exist um, and so, Lord, I'm I'm praying for your wisdom to be granted and given freely. Um, again, I don't have all the answers. I know that you do, but we just pray for your will to be done there. Um, meanwhile, we pray for a, a minimization of uh, of devastation and and uh, and and find a way to, to find peace in that situation, if it is is, is at all possible. Uh, we know, Lord, though, that ultimately the the war that ends all wars will come and um, it will be in that region um, that it will begin. And so, Lord, though we don't understand it all, we don't know all the timing of things, we certainly lean into you and we trust you and we are grateful that we have a salvation. But, Lord, may you be made more known even through this situation that you are, you are God, that Jesus is Lord and that the only way to ultimate peace is through you. For this we ask and we pray in the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Let me invite you, if you would, to turn to Matthew's Gospel chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be looking today at the model prayer that Jesus prayed, and uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. I, I will tell you, I don't have a lot of, of claim to fame in this life, uh, beyond being, just being a pastor, Uh, I do have two things that probably set me apart uh, more than anything. Uh, One is a a good thing, a a thing to be proud of. The other is not so proud. Both of them are related to basketball. Um, I know I've shared at least this first thing with you. Uh, One of my claims to fame or defame is that I once fouled out of a basketball game in the first quarter of a basketball game. That is a true story. It's for another time. The other claim to fame that I have is this. Uh, To my knowledge, I have never met anyone who was better at shooting free throws than I was at my prime. I'm I'm qualifying at my prime. Please do not come and challenge me today, all right, uh, to a free throw shooting contest. But when I was in high school, I actually finished my last year of high school with a 93, more than a 93% free throw average in high school. It's hard to achieve. Um, and so I, I, I can't be proud of much. I am proud of that. Uh, I've won several free throw shooting contests. Um, uh, it, it was not uncommon for me to be able to start shooting free throws and hit 100 in a row. All right, Are you impressed yet? All right. Um, so if you, if you were to ask me what my secret was and why I was able to do that, uh, the secret was I practiced and I practiced a lot. Um, I remember watching one of my favorite basketball players when I was a kid was a, a basketball player for the University of Kentucky. His name was Kyle Macy. And uh, he was awesome at shooting free throws. And so I made it my practice to emulate how he shot free throws. And he shot his free throws the same way every time. And so I would do the same. And the way he would start was he would reach down. I can't go all the way down anymore. He would reach down and he would wipe his hands, wipe the sweat off of, off, off, off of his socks. And then he would, he would take the basketball. He would dribble three times, take a, take a moment, a pause, and then he would shoot the free throw. And uh, under my father's instruction, he's like, you need to practice doing, vac- uh, doing your free throws the same way every time over and over again. And so I would go out on the basketball court that we had in the back of my yard, a little uh, paved uh, court that my dad had put in, into the yard, and I would just practice and practice and practice. But then it, before I finished my practice... I would always finish shooting free throws over and over and over and over and over again. And when I was done with that, I practiced some more over and over and over again. And that was the secret. I developed a good habit of shooting free throws, and then I kept doing it, practicing it over and over and over. Our current series today that we began last week and it's going to run up until our our Christmas observation uh, that begins at the end of November is uh, a message called Habits. And in this series we're talking about spiritual habits, spiritual disciplines. It's about spirit-filled and spirit-empowered disciplines, grace-empowered disciplines. And these habits These disciplines that every Christian should incorporate in their daily walk with the Lord and they should do them, do them over and over and over again. These are the means that God has given us that we might live life and live it to the full. Today we're taking on a couple of the habits, not just one of them. Last week we looked at Bible intake and the importance of of getting the Bible into us by reading it and studying it and memorizing it and quoting it. Well, today's habits are not one but two that we offer to you, and it's the habits of prayer and fasting. And Jesus addresses both of these habits in his famous teaching that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. So I want to invite you to stand with me as we begin reading in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Matthew 6, verse 9. Here's how Jesus tells us to pray. For if you forgive others their their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Pray with me. The Lord, we ask that you continue to encourage us to take up these disciplines, these disciplines that you have designed to help us to grow in the faith, these spirit-empowered disciplines, these grace-empowered habits. May they truly be habits that we embrace and we embrace them freely, that through them you help us to become more like you day by day. So we ask and so we pray in the name of Jesus, amen, amen. God bless you, go ahead and have a seat. I heard you as I was reading through what is referred to as the Lord's Prayer, some of you We're quoting it from memory. How many of you were raised to memorize the Lord's Prayer? Quite a few of you, yeah. Um, We we often reflect upon this Lord's Prayer based upon our, our memory, but we may fail to realize that when Jesus shared this prayer, that he was sharing it in the context of a broader set of teaching that he was giving in Matthew chapter 6. And if you read broadly through Matthew Matthew chapter 6, you understand that Jesus in that section was condemning those who were seeking to impress other people uh, with outward displays of religiosity. Uh, He was speaking specifically about uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who made a a big deal about the religious expressions of faith so that others would observe their religiosity and pat them on the back for for it, or at least assume that they were walking with the Lord. In fact, this whole chapter that, we've, that we're looking at in regards to prayer and fasting begins like this in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And after that, Jesus then pr- proceeds to to tell us and to tell those who listen to him on that day to not draw attention to themselves by giving in ways so that it draws attention to yourself so you're, you don't give in public demonstrably uh, ways. You, you don't pray loudly in pu- public for the sole purpose of saying, hey, look at that person praying loudly to the Lord. He must be faithful. We don't uh, act miserable and look gloomy when we're fasting so as to draw attention to our so-called piety. Instead, we are to give privately, and we are to pray privately, and we are to, to fast privately. But there is an overarching assumption that Jesus makes throughout this passage. He is assuming that we would do these things, that we would give, and that we would pray, and that we would fast. In fact, notice verse 5, he makes that assumption at the beginning, he says, and when you pray, and then again in verse 6, and when you pray, and verse 7, and when you pray. So Jesus is making the assumption here that we will do these things specifically that we will be a praying people, that we will make it a habit to pray to him. And that's when he then begins to tell us how to pray with the model prayer. Again, we we specifically refer to it as the Lord's Prayer. So what is prayer after all? It's a very basic, uh, common uh, expression and discipline of the faith and exercise of the faith if I could just define it in the most simplest of terms, it would be this. Prayer is our communication to God. If if God speaks to us through his word, we speak to him through prayer. It's it's our way of making requests of God. But it's not about seeking things from God, our prayer. Prayer is about seeking God. Do you see the difference? So often we pray because we, we want something done. We need something. And so we say, God, give this to me. Make this happen. Prayer should be less about God seeking after God and seeking things from God and more about seeking God himself. It's about seeking him and relying upon what he can do rather than seeking our own agenda and relying upon what we can do. This model prayer calls us to do that. In fact, there are five things that I want to point out to you from this prayer that ought to encourage you to make prayer a daily habit, a daily practice. Here's the first. If prayer is how we seek God, then if we seek God in prayer, then the first thing I would challenge you to do is to pray to seek God and his person. Pray to seek God and his person. Verse 9, he says this. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name this from the very beginning of this example prayer by the way when jesus says pray this way he doesn't mean only pray this way it's a model it's it's an outline that you can look to to help inform your prayer however you pray but but this this particular beginning this opening prayer speaks about a very important facet of god's person and that is he is our father He's not some uncaring, unnoticing deity. He's family. He is our father. He's someone that we know and can know personally, which, by the way, was a new concept in Jesus's day. Here's what David Jeremiah had to say about this in his book, Prayer, The Great Adventure. He, He wrote this. He says, the writers of the Old Testament had a much different concept of their relationship to God than we do today. When the scribes who copied the Old Testament scriptures wrote the word for God, Yahweh, they would throw their pen away never to use it again. For they reasoned that once they had written the word Yahweh, the pen was disqualified to write anything else. So this idea that that God is other than us and separate from us, that the the, the Jewish people could not conceive that, that that same God was also God the Father. They couldn't think of him in relational terms in the same way that we, we reflect today, which is why Jesus wants us to, to what Jesus wants us to recognize in prayer. We pray to a God who is our Father. We pray to a God who is not far from us. He is a God who is near to us. He is uh, very near uh, in present help in times of trouble. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And so we seek God in prayer. Based on our relationship to him. He is our father. We are his children. And surely he desires to hear us. But note also the nature of, of God our father. Jesus says of him there in verse 9. Hallowed be thy name. Your name. The word hallowed means holy or set apart. Which also speaks to, to his person. We know him as God the creator. And, and as, as the creator he is distinct From the rest of creation. He is set apart from us. He is above us and beyond us. Theologians often use three terms to describe God in in, in great generalities. And they're terms that can never be applied to you and me. And they refer to him in his being omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. Omnipresent means that he is everywhere all the time. Omniscient means he is all-knowing. There is nothing God does not know. Omnipotent means that he is all-powerful. There is nothing that is more powerful than he. And this is the God to whom we pray. Yes, he is God, our Father, but he is also hallowed, set apart beyond us. We're not just praying to a God, we're praying to the God who can respond. Life Magazine, when it was publishing back in the 1960s, one of its most famous uh, photo spreads was that of John F. Kennedy playing with his children in the Oval Office. A very iconic set of pictures of John F. Kennedy's time as president. John Jr. and Caroline, his two children, are playing with their toys uh, there on the floor uh, in, in the Oval Office, and those images captured the the, the, image, the the hearts of the American people like never before or since. Why? I think it's because it bridged the gap between two thoughts. Kennedy was the President of the United States, but he was also a father. He was and had ultimate political power in the free world, but playing at his feet were two little kids who only knew him as daddy. So what an incredible picture this is. Do you, do you think our kids would have been allowed to go to the White House to play on the Oval Office carpet? Of course not. But his kids were because they were his father. He was their father. He, he was not only the President of the United States, he was also their dad. In the same way, our God is both the hallowed Creator and our Father. So we, we have this unique privilege, don't we, to know that our God is the, the creator of the universe, but he is also one that we can intimately refer to as Abba, as Father. That's why we have this privilege to seek him in prayer. The hallowed God, but also our Father who listens to his children. Here's the second truth. If we are to seek God in prayer, we, we also should seek, pray to seek God's agenda. We pray to seek God's agenda. Notice verse 10. Jesus also said to pray, this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, I don't know if this reminds you of what it reminds me, but as I see this, as Jesus says, as you begin your prayer after addressing God, the hallowed God, God our Father, he, you are to pray your, your kingdom come, your will be done. Here we are reminded that our prayers are not about our selfish desires. How often do you begin your prayer By first stating, Lord, what you want more than what I want. What you desire more than what I desire. No, we must pray in accordance to the will of God. When we ask for for God's kingdom to come, it's saying, look, I give up control as to what that means. Lord, if I want your kingdom to come, I can't define what your kingdom includes. Lord, if I have a request, it is not to be based upon how I define what that request looks like, but it's how your kingdom would define it. You're ultimately handing your life over to God's control when you say, your kingdom come, your will be done. We we probably should talk a little bit more in in the days ahead of what it means to be a part of God's kingdom because we are a kingdom people. And in a kingdom, there are only two classes of people. There is the ruler and those that are being ruled. And, and so the content of our prayer says a lot of who we think we are in that kingdom schematic over whether we see ourselves as the ruler or as the subjects to the one who is, who is ruling. Let me tell you why this is so important until we recognize our place within God's kingdom and what God is doing in this world, we'll never see our prayers answered in a powerful way because God's not gonna answer your prayer that runs contrary to his will for his kingdom. And until we surrender to his rule and his will, we'll never have power in our prayers because our prayers will fail to lead to the fulfillment of his desires in this world. So how can we expect him to answer our prayers if all we're concerned about is our own selfish concerns? Puritan writer Richard Baxter used used to write these words when he was asked to sign one of his books. He would write this, Lord, what thou wilt, where thou wilt, and when thou wilt. In other words, he was saying, Lord, whatever you want, wherever you want it, and whenever you want it, that's what I want. Is that how you pray? Is that what you seek? I know it's a scary prayer to pray, but it's also the best way to pray. It is the correct way to pray. And so if we're gonna seek God in prayer, we pray to seek God's agenda, but also this. We pray to seek God's provision, his provision. That's what verse 11 is about. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Just so you know, Jesus is not talking about literal food here. He's not saying, Lord, make sure that I have a meal in my belly by the end of this day. We're not praying for for physical sustenance. There's so much more than a request for food going on here, but it is a request for the the necessary. It's asking for what is needed and not for what is wanted. And note also that it is for daily bread. It's 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 a request for today and today only not for tomorrow which implies how often we should be praying we need to be seeking God's face on a daily basis which is a reminder Christian that prayer ought to be a regular habit in our lives it ought to be regular for us a, a daily habit and so we every single day we need to be praying and we need to be consistent with that and whatever your needs may be you take them to the Lord knowing that our God is the provider. He makes provision. We take them to the, these needs to him daily. And as a reminder uh, of that, what you need, whatever it is, as you're praying and, and praying in accordance to the will of God and, and for the fulfillment of his kingdom, remember that what you need, the Lord's going to provide. Story is given uh, once upon a time in our daily bread. Remember those little devotion books, our daily bread? Some of you still use that came across a story a few years ago from Our Daily Bread and in it, Dr. Helen Roosevelt, a missionary to Zaire, told the following story. So let me just read it to you. She wrote, a mother at our mission station died after giving birth to a premature baby. We tried to improvise an incubator to keep the infant alive, but the only hot water bottle we had was beyond repair. So we asked the children to pray for the baby and for her sister. And one of the girls responded, dear God, please send a hot, bottle, a hot water bottle today. Tomorrow will be too late because by then baby will be dead. And dear Lord, send it off for the sister so she won't feel so lonely. And according to the story, that afternoon, a large package arrived from England. And the children watched eagerly as we opened it, um, Dr. Rosevier wrote. Much to their surprise under some clothing was a hot water bottle. And immediately the girl who had prayed so earnestly started to dig deeper, exclaiming, if God sent that, I'm sure he also sent a doll. And she kept digging, and guess what was in the package? A doll. So I want you to get this, because this obviously was in a a time far removed from UPS and FedEx, all right? Uh, This wasn't recent. Amazon wasn't sending a a same-day shipment here. That package, as they figured it out, was put together five months earlier. Five months before in, in England, there was a church group, a ladies group that had gotten together and they, as they were praying, they put together a care package and in it, they included a hot water bottle and they included a doll. Why? I'll tell you why. Because our father is the God of provision. He's the God of provision. He, he knew in advance What was needed before that prayer was ever prayed he also knew that that child would pray asking specifically for those things one day and since it would be in accordance to his will and purpose and for his kingdom and and, and prayed in accordance to his agenda he answered that prayer that's why we pray to seek God's provision his provision and not our own also we seek God in prayer and if we do so we should do this fourth thing and that is to pray to seek God's forgiveness and this is important Here's how Jesus said to pray for it there in verse 12. He said to pray and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Listen, we all owe a debt and it's a debt that none of us can pay on our own. We're all sinners according to the scriptures. Every last one of us, we have the debt of sin upon us. We've sinned against God and we deserve to die eternally for it. And that's, that's what the Bible tells us. And even tragic or equally tragic to that is that we cannot save ourselves from our sin. We cannot remove the debt on our own. We, we have this spiritual debt. We cannot buy our way out. We cannot work our way out. So our only hope is to have the debt forgiven. It's our only hope. And that's where Jesus comes in, amen? Jesus, who is God, God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, same person, who lived a perfect life, this one who's telling us to pray and to ask, that our debts be forgiven. He made possible for the forgiveness of our sin debt by going to the cross and laying down his life upon the cross and, and completely offering up the perfect sacrifice of his life so that any person who would, who would believe upon him and seek his face and seek his forgiveness would be forgiven, which is a reminder That forgiveness isn't automatic. We have to seek it. We have to ask for it. That's why Jesus calls for us to pray this way and forgive us our debts. To pray forgive us our debts is to pray forgive us our sins. And so we are praying to seek God's forgiveness. But let me also point out the modifier there. It's a little bit of a descriptor that goes beyond that. He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This, by the way, is one of the toughest parts of this entire prayer. If praying for God's agenda instead of your own and saying, God, whatever you want, not me, you you make the decision. If that's tough, imagine how much more that we have to pray asking God to forgive us in the same way that we pray others. I mean, if we really understood the magnitude of it, we'd probably think twice before praying this because I want you to think of, of the last person who did you wrong. Someone who offended you, someone who spoke out of turn, somebody who was talking about you behind your back, someone who failed to meet your needs, someone who did something deliberately or not so deliberately to hurt you, and you've been hurt deeply. And I want you to ask about how you've responded to them in forgiveness. And think about that person as you pray uh, and, and pray, Lord, forgive me of my sins the way I've forgiven that person who was so nasty to me. Is that the way that we want forgiveness? Lord, I want you to forgive me in the same way I forgave that person that I still have a grudge about, that I still are angry over, that I want the worst in life to come their way. Nobody's gonna pray that kind of prayer, are we? No, we we want a different kind of prayer. We wanna pray, Lord, forgive me in spite of how I failed to, to, to forgive this person. But Jesus says, no, no, no. You need to pray, forgive us our debts as you've also forgiven your debtors. And so we should absolutely pray for God's forgiveness, but we need to make sure, as we do, we're seeking to make that heavenly relationship right, but we also need to make sure that our earthly relationships are right too, because if they're not right, we're not right. You can't be right with the Lord if you're not seeking to be right with your brother and sister in Christ. And if we harbor unforgiveness, we're not right with God. And friend, I would also say, don't expect answers to prayer if you're not willing to forgive other people. And by the way, how serious was Jesus when he said, forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors? He was so serious that he said this after the model prayer there in verse 14, look at it. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That's heavy, isn't it? We pray to seek God's forgiveness. It's also an occasion for us to consider our relationships with other people and to seek to make those right and we should be quick to forgive when necessary. So we seek God in prayer. And if we seek God in prayer, we should also do this fifth thing, a final thing in regards to prayer. We need to pray to seek God's protection. Jesus says this in verse 13, and to pray this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is one of those more often than not misunderstood verses of the Bible because it seems to be in conflict with something James wrote in the first chapter of James, James 1 verse 13, which says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Here's how I seek to understand what could be a conflict between these two ideas. Temptation is an enticement to sin, and God never, ever, ever leads us to sin. Never. He doesn't. He does test us, however. He does allow us to be t- t- tempted so that we might be tested. He allows trials in our lives that are intended to draw us near to himself and, and in order to strengthen our faith. And so often within the midst of our trials and struggles, we, we encounter a temptation to sin. But that temptation either comes from ourselves, our own evil desires, or it comes from Satan, the enemy. So maybe a better way to translate that verse for us to understand today would be this, and do not bring us into a time of testing, but deliver us from the evil one. In other words, it's like this. Father, I, 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 can avoid, I, I wish you would allow me to avoid this testing and still be close to you. That, that's my prayer. If I don't have to go down this journey of struggle, Lord, that's my prayer. And so if I can avoid it and still be close to you, please let it be. But if not, please protect me through the middle of it protect me from the temptation, protect me from the evil one as I go through it. And with this, we have a promise that God will protect us from ourselves and from the enemy, Satan. Our part then is to pray and to ask for wisdom as we see it coming. So we're to pray. Prayer is a habit that every Christian should have in their arsenal of daily practice. It ought to be our habit I just want to very quickly, and I won't be able to unpack this passage, but in this passage, Jesus also references another spiritual habit, another spiritual discipline, which is fasting. Let me just read that little section to you again, beginning in verse 16. He says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let me just again remind you of the broader context of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is teaching here, condemning those who sought to impress others with outward displays of religiosity. And he was dealing with that, with the the idea of giving and with praying. Now he's going to address the subject in regards to fasting and he's condemning those who try to impress others by hyping up their, their gloominess to show that they were miserable. Why, are you, why, why is your face so gloomy? Well, I'm fasting these days. Jesus said, no, 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 we don't do that. Don't try to draw attention to yourself while you're fasting. Don't make it look like you're just toughing it out for the Lord. Instead, do all you can to appear so that it doesn't look like you're fasting. The Lord doesn't reward selfish religiosity. He only rewards selfless secret devotion. Now, I don't want to walk into all of that. What I do want to point out here is just an assumption that Jesus is making in this part of the text. Just like with prayer, he assumes that we will fast. Again, in verse 16, he says, And when you fast. He doesn't say, if you fast, he says, when you fast. He assumes that Christians will do this. By the way, nowhere in scripture does it command us to fast. Did you know that? Not that I have found, but the assumption is there. It's something that we should desire from time to time. Unfortunately, so many Christians have really missed this expectation. It's It's an alternate thing. If you want to do it fine, you don't have to. But it is one of the least attended to spiritual disciplines of our day. We struggle with this concept. I'll admit, I struggle with it. I don't fast as often as I should. And perhaps the reason why is maybe we've just got so much today. We've got it so good. We don't know how to suffer much. We want every possible want and desire satisfied as soon as possible. We're so used to having plenty. And so the idea of giving up something is really a burden to us. And maybe we're not as sacrificial of a people as we think we are. So what is fasting? In Jesus' day, it was a time of self-denial to focus upon God. Uh, typically, it, it included giving up food for a specific uh, defined amount of time uh, so that whatever, when, when you, instead of taking time to sit down at a meal, perhaps you would take that as a time uh, to focus on the Lord and to pray. Or when you would feel the hunger pains, uh, hitting your abdomen, it would be a reminder um, that your, your, your greatest satisfaction is not in, in, in taking food and having that immediate need met, but it was in seeking God, the ultimate source of our satisfaction. Uh, unlike prayer, uh, fasting isn't something that we do daily. It's not something we do every single day. It's just occasional as you have need or as you are led. And, and, and fasting is really closely related to prayer. Uh, in that it's about seeking God, but, but it is distinct from prayer. And so without wading into the subject too, much, too deeply, if prayer is ultimately about seeking God and relying upon what he can do, fasting is what we do to truly focus our attention and our affections upon him. And so it, it, I would just state this final point this way. Fast to focus your attention and affections on God. Let me just tell you, fasting can be so beneficial to your spiritual formation. It can be such a blessing to set aside something that you love, something that, you, that is necessary, something that you crave. But remember, it's, it's a means to one of two ends, based on what Jesus told us here in verses 16 through 18. It can be a means to showing off for other people, or it can be a means of saying to God, You're more important to me than anything. You're more important to me than food. You provide me with with more satisfaction than anything else. These two things are mutually exclusive. That's why Jesus says to lean into fasting secretly, privately. And again, the the subject warrants much more study than we'll give today, but I I just want you to be pressed with with a, a few questions here. Who or what has your attention? You're called to read the word of God, to intake the word of God. You're called to pray. But but does God have your attention? Does his word have your attention? Are are you focusing your attention upon the Lord in prayer? Who or what is the source of your satisfaction? Are you seeking satisfaction in in praise and adoration of other people? Are you seeking your satisfaction in the Lord? Fasting. Will help you to put your focus upon the Lord. Your focus, your attention upon Him, and focus your affections upon Him. We all need to pray, and we could all benefit from fasting. And I, I, as I close out, I just want to give a simple challenge to you. Last week, I, I challenged you to take a couple of months uh, and to, to read God's Word, because it's in order for us to establish a habit in our lives uh, based on some some secular studies. Uh, that that the the median time frame about 66 days of doing something will allow a good habit to be a part of your life. And I challenge you to read God's word every single day for for a two-month period. Well, let me also add to that a call for you to pray daily. And let me just also say that praying a blessing over your meal, what we call saying grace over a meal, doesn't count, Okay. But praying a prayer that is in the spirit of this model prayer that Jesus offered to us. And praying, I'm not saying you have to pray hours and hours and hours a day. I I think it's actually better for that you you begin your day and let your day be an open prayer. Uh, that, That you begin your day and begin by praying. But, you know, don't say amen when you get up in the morning after you say your morning prayer. But just leave a dot, dot, dot. And as you keep on going throughout the day, continue to have communication with the Lord throughout the day so that when you close your eyes at night and you close your day with a word of prayer, you can finally say an amen, that your whole day was a day uh, in, infiltrated by a prayer with the Lord. So pray daily. Let me also give you this challenge because the scriptures may not command us to fast. I do want to challenge you to fast at least one time in the next two months. The fast ones Make it purposeful uh, p- to, to focus on some particular desire of your heart that the Lord perhaps by the Spirit is uh, prompting you to, to focus upon. Uh, but to, to, to fast and, and to fast from whatever distracts you from the Lord. In Jesus' day, uh, food was a common thing that you would fast from. Today, with all of the distractions that we have, we carry around one of the greatest distractions that humans have ever created in a, in a cell phone. There's not a moment in our lives anymore that we don't have the ability to pull up some kind of entertainment, some kind of news article, some kind of game, and we're constantly focused on something. Because we're focused on something, we're probably not focused on the Lord. So I'm gonna encourage you at least once to set a time, a a period of time. Maybe it's a day to fast. Maybe it's fasting from a phone. Maybe it's fasting from food. Maybe it's fasting from both. But whatever it is that is drawing more attention uh, away from the Lord, the attention that you should be giving to the Lord, whatever it is, set it aside and fast distracts you from the Lord. But whatever you do, let's daily make it a habit to pray and occasionally let us fast. Will you pray with me right now? Lord, I'm grateful that we have this opportunity to reflect upon these practices that will help us to become more like you. Lord, your word instructs us so that we may know your voice and hear your voice. And with prayer, Lord, we're able to have your ear, to petition you. And with it, Lord, with fasting as we pray, we have the ability to focus our attention upon you and to focus our affections upon you, so that you matter more than anything else in this world. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people who will embrace the good habits, embrace these spiritual disciplines, these grace-empowered, spirit-empowered disciplines and habits so that we can know more of you and become more like you. Lord, I'm also mindful that These can all be external things that we do if we do not first and foremost have a relationship with you in which we find forgiveness of our sins and your spirit comes to live in us and dwell in us and to change us. And so Lord, I I likewise, as I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that they may be a people who embrace these good habits, that Lord, you would also touch the one who has not yet found you Lord, if if we pray to seek you and to rely upon you, Lord, it's impossible for us to seek you if we seek you in our own strength. And Lord, we need to begin by asking you to forgive us of our debts, our sin debts. But Lord, it's quite possible that there's someone here who is yet to seek your forgiveness. And as I declared earlier in the message, forgiveness is not automatic. It only comes to those who fall under conviction of their sin and seek you, seek your forgiveness and then commit to a life of repentance. So Lord, I pray if there would be someone like we saw in the baptistry today who do not know you but desires to see you and to find you, to seek you, that Lord, today they will come under that convention, repent and turn to you for the forgiveness of their sins. So Lord, whatever you need to do in order to make that happen, we trust that in accordance to your will, you will see it come to be. For this we ask in the name of Jesus, as we pray to our Father in heaven. Amen.